We're so close to him. He takes a trinket out of his box of glory. And he gives his disciples a sneak peek. Watch out. This is like a fear, my glory. He gives them a sneak peek, a foretaste of the glory to come. The evening, and so Jesus then got up from the meal. And he took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. I think he's sort of getting ready for a wrestling match or maybe to bop him in the nose, is he? And after he'd poured water into a basin, you can sort of see these boxes splashing water all over their face and maybe sniffing some Epsom salts. After pouring water in a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now what's going on there? What sort of glory is that? Oh, glory, glory, hallelujah. Well, here's the glory. Verse 1, chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world, to go to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the What is the most glorious thing you have ever known? The greatest glory that you have experienced. The greatest glory in your life. Have you got some really big bling piece of jewelry that you know is super expensive? Hey? Or maybe you want that. Maybe you've got a... You, you see those guys? There's always guys. See those guys driving Maseratis? Oh, man, there's some glory there, Ferrari, Lamborghini. Forget about the BMWs and Porsches. I've got the Maserati, man. There's some glory there, yeah? We went to the Royal Palace in Brussels. It just happened to be open when we were in Brussels recently. And it is glorious. It is room after room. It gets boring. Room after room of wow. 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 I can show you the photos. There's one room in particular that stood out. They used to have the Belgian Congo. There is a room oh, bigger than this space here, higher than this space here. The whole roof and the chandelier is covered with green. All little wings from beetles from the Belgian Congo. Millions of them. And it is not dirty, filthy insect looking. It is brilliantly iridescent. There's some glory and power. What about things you've seen? My neighbor has just been in the Canadian Rockies. And he caught the Rocky Mountaineer. You know that train? And he said it was just so glorious. It's one of the best things he's ever done. He absolutely loved it. The Canadian Rockies. You ever been there? I haven't been there. I've missed out on the glory. I've got to go. I've got to see the Canadian Rockies. I've got to go on the Rocky Mountaineer. What about if you won the Golden Tipper, the Pennant Hills Baptist Church Golden Tipper? What if you had the glory that Tong Tam has known <laughs> to be the winner? 
Actually, what if you won an Olympic gold medal? You work all your life and you stand on the diocese and the medal goes around your neck and you've made it and the whole world knows. What do they write songs about? Oh, the day you won the Olympic gold medal was the best day in the world. Have you heard that one? Oh, I love to drive my Maserati all around the town and watch people's heads turn as I pass them by. Ta-da. Have you heard that one? What do they write songs about? Thank you, Alan. They're always, Tony, they're always writing songs about love. Because that's what everybody aches for. Someone to watch over me. Someone who puts me first. Even above themselves. Somebody who puts me above every earthly pleasure. Someone to whom I can turn to. Who's there. Someone that I can return that commitment to and put them first above anybody else. That's what we write songs about. That is glory. The best glory. And most of the time our love is not seen in flashy outward demonstrations and displays. But that, you know that doesn't diminish love's glory, the fact that it's not seen outwardly. The unseen is all the more real and deep and glorious, isn't it? Mums and dads, if you've been there, would you like to pay someone else to wipe your baby's bottom and get up at night and clean up their vomit Well, yeah, you would, kind of, yeah. Would you like to be a royal who pays for a nanny to raise your children like that? Yes and no, because you know that if you do, you miss out on the glory of loving your children. And you know that if you do that, somehow they miss out on the glory of being loved. We all need love. We need to give and receive love because it is what we were made for. It is our highest glory. And Jesus here in chapter 13 manifests his glory in humble, sacrificial love. Though master and teacher and Lord, he willingly takes the place of the very lowest servant because this is a horrible job in that day. And he washes his disciples' feet and he comes to the man who will betray him, Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, and he washes Simon's feet. John's book of glory starts with a foretaste of the cross. Philippians chapter 2, let's go there again in our year of... Walk humbly with our God. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in, rather in humility 
consider others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, as the Messiah, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. John 13, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as the Messiah Jesus, who, being master and teacher and the glorious one, did not consider his position, something to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing and took on the very nature of the lowest servant. He took a, loin, took a, a towel and wrapped it around his waist in a basin of water and being found in the appearance of the very lowest servant, he humbled himself by coming obedient to being the foot washer, even, even for Judas Iscariot. To the full picture, the whole glory will be when Jesus offers himself on the cross of Calvary for Peter's sin, for John's sin, for Andrew's sin, for my sin and for your sin. And there we see the king, as John says in his gospel, lifted up from the world so that he might draw all peoples to himself. We see him there crowned in his glory, the majesty and the humility of his love, meekness and majesty, the king of glory, now not giving us a sample, a sneak peek, but manifested in the wonder of his glorious jewels of sacrifice and love for you. Sometimes, however, I think the cross is too much for us. Crucifixion. Can you relate to crucifixion? Have you seen a crucifixion? Yeah, you can read about the pain and the suffering. But how do you relate to it? And let's face it, you and I will never be asked to die for the sins of the world and bear that burden. But have a look at John 13. Because here Jesus gives us a sneak peek of the glory to come and here he sets us an example, a pattern that we can and must follow. We too can take the lowest place and wash others' feet. I've skipped over a whole section but that's okay. When he had finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so because that is what I am. I am Lord. I am teacher. 
Rabbi, but now that I, your Lord and Rabbi, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that if you do these things, you will be now that you do these things, you will be blessed if you do them. <clears throat> I wonder if you're wanting to live a glorious life, because I think most of us are. We sit there dreaming about glory that might be through our work, through our talents, through our family, through the things we own or might own. If you want a glorious life, it's not too late. Nor is it too soon to start. If you want a glorious life, follow Jesus, the all-glorious one. And we busy ourselves pursuing glory in the wrong places. We busy, I do this all the time, busy my mental space. And I've only got so much mental space, it's a small brain. Busy my mental space with pursuing glories or imagining glories in all the wrong places. If I got that promotion and had that pay packet, if I owned that Maserati and people turned their heads as I drove by, if I went and saw the Canadian Rockies and did the Rocky Mountaineer, if I won Olympic gold, because I really am pretty fast. If you ask anyone who has pursued those things, such glory, and achieved them, you will find that they never satisfy. If you find a Maserati driver who thinks that they have made it because of their Maserati, I'm nothing wrong with owning a Maserati, but seriously, if you find someone who tells you how great they are because of their Maserati, you have found a very sad and empty person who is all bluff. If you meet someone who excels at love, you'll find someone who has found satisfaction and richness and who is completely unaware of the glory they possess, but you can see it. Glory is found in humbling ourselves, in loving deeply and loving well, even when it seems undeserved, perhaps particularly when it seems undeserved. And Jesus is right when he says here, now that, now that you know these things, you will be blessed you will be blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. If you wash others' feet. Eric Liddell knew the glory of Jesus. He was the son of Scottish missionaries in China. As often happened, even happens today, he was sent back to the UK for his education when he was about six or so. Very bright young man, but an extremely good athlete. He studied pure science at Edinburgh University and graduated with honours. He played rugby for Scotland for two years. 
but he was most famous as an athletic sprinter. He was Scottish champion in sprinting. He was British champion in sprinting. He did the 100-yard dash in 9.7 seconds in 1923. I'm stunned at that time back in those days. His record in Britain was stood for 23 years. He did the 200 yards in 21.6 seconds. He was a hero in Scotland and the United Kingdom. He was selected, obviously, for the 1924 Olympic Games. In Paris, Eric Liddell was also a committed Christian. And he had convictions. You might argue with whether he's... But it didn't matter... His conscience said, because I follow Jesus, I cannot run on Sundays athletically, competitively. The heats for the 100 metres, that's his event. We're on a Sunday. He told them well before, unlike in the movie Chariots of Fire, he told them well before, I will not run that race. So 100 metres gone. He ran in the 200 metres. He came third behind two Americans. Bronze medal, pretty good, Eric, that's good. He put his name down for the 400 metres, but he was a pretty crap 400 metre runner. It's a different race, yeah? It's a long way. Well, 400 metres. Because he hadn't run it before, he got in there and he made it into the final. He was put on the outside lane. If you're running 400 metres, you don't want to be on the outside lane because you can't see what anyone else is doing. And back in those days, you'd sprint around the corner 100 metres, you'd slightly lay it back for the next 200 metres, and you'd hammer the last 100 metres. Eric Liddell, gun went off, everyone's behind him, doesn't know what's going, he just belted it as hard as he could. He sprinted the whole race. They all sprint the whole race these days. He was probably the first runner to sprint the whole race. And he won. And he set a world record. Forty-seven point six seconds. Now they're doing about forty. They're doing pretty good, better than that these days. In fact, the difference between that and the hundred is probably not so great. But it's still, if you've ever done any running, that is super fast for four hundred meters. It was an Olympic world record for twelve years. Yet they made a movie about it called Chariots of Fire, with a bit of embellishment. They shot some on the beach at St Andrews where we were recently. Some of the iconic scenes were shot there. He was a hero. He won an Olympic gold medal in an event he didn't even train for particularly, that he wasn't particularly good at. There is a hero. Back to Scotland, he was a hero. He's still a hero in Scotland today, as he should be. In 1925, we're talking about 1924 Olympics, 1925, he decides, I'm going back to China. Because I want to be a missionary. I want to tell people in China about Jesus like mum and dad have been. And he spent the rest of his life there except for two trips back to Scotland. He was asked if he ever regretted his decision to leave behind the fame and glory of his athletics. Because remember, he left as a missionary at the height of his athletic career. He said... It's natural for a chap to think over that sometimes. But I'm glad at the work I'm engaged in now. A fellow's life counts for far more at this than at the other. 
A fellow's life counts for far more in serving others than it does in that athletic stuff. He was a teacher and a coach. He taught particularly, um, taught particularly fairly well-off Chinese students from well-off families because he was. They wanted to prepare. He wanted to shape China and prepare leaders in China by teaching them and telling them about Jesus. World War Two came. In 1941, now married with a wife with two, two children and one, a pregnant wife with two children, she goes to, Canada, goes to Canada where she grew up. Eric stays to serve the church in China and to keep his... The Japanese came through. He's arrested and put in an internment camp, as were all the other Westerners and the missionaries who st- remained in China. He busied himself, straight out of Wikipedia, he busied himself by helping the elderly teaching at the camp school Bible classes, arranging games and by teaching science to the children who referred to him as Uncle Eric. Norman Cliff wrote a book about his time in the prison camp and he said of Eric Liddell, he was the finest Christian gentleman it has been my pleasure to meet. In all the time in the camp I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Langdon Gilkey grew up in a very well, very, very well educated in London, upper class, committed humanist, committed atheist. He went to China to get involved in being good in China. He was also interred in this thing. He wrote, often in, the, in an evening I would see Eric bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary and interested pouring all of himself into this effort to capture the imagination of those penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humour and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close as it is as anyone I have ever known. Langdon Gilkey left that prison camp, committed convicted that his humanism was empty. He became a follower of Jesus and a theologian. He met Eric Liddell, a man of love and sacrifice. A glorious man. A man who on the 21st of February 1945, weeks before the end of the war, died from a brain tumour, possibly brought on by his stress and malnutrition. A man who never saw his youngest daughter. Langdon Gilkey wrote, he wrote a book about all this stuff. He said, the entire camp, especially its youth, was stunned for days. So great was the vacuum that Eric's death had left. So you tell me, I've just told you a bit of the story, you tell me, where's the glory in Eric Little's life? Where is the impact into eternity and even into the decades of Eric Little's life? He inspired many. There was a movie made about his athletic career and his commitment to tough choices for his saviour. But I think the real glory of his life was his love and humble sacrifice for others. 
There is the greater glory. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly the sort of glory that you and I can emulate. Jesus has set the example for his disciples to follow. And he leaves us with this. I'm going to leave you with what I think is a simple and very devastating question. That is, whose feet are you washing? I'm not asking you, who do you serve? I'm not asking you, who do you like or who do you think you love? I am asking, whose feet are you washing? When you take the very lowest place willingly out of love, to look after somebody else who desperately needs love, Do you know the glory of Jesus at work in your life? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his glory. We thank you that his glory is poured out for us. And we ask that you would help us to follow his example as he commands. We pray in his name. Amen.